This morning, I want to talk to you on the same subject of faith. I titled it, Not So Sure. Not So Sure, because uncertainty was taken. Uncertain. So I'll title it, Not So Sure. I want to talk to you about faith, and I'll read you a scripture so that we just start right. Now, faith is confidence in what, is, what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for. Can you put it on the screen in the uh, New King James Version of that scripture? It's uh, Hebrews 11. 11.1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith, you can break it down. Those who have passed the trick. I wish I paid more attention in class. If you're still in school, you have an opportunity. Who's still in school? Quite a bit of you. Pay attention. It's life is easier when you know how to spell and count. If you're in matric and you still can't spell, I don't know what to say to you either. It's like, yes. Put that scripture up there, please. Uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, hoped for. So faith is not the now, it's the future. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith replaces in the now what we expect to materialize in the future. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is. So I want to tell you a little bit of story about this property and how this worked out as I lead into the understanding of what faith is. I want to also wanted to read to you about Moses. I don't know if I put the scripture up here from Moses. Moses who got put in a basket by his mother I want to read that scripture to you as well so that you have it in the back of your mind about how faith manifests. Exodus chapter number two. It's happening. There we go. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Remember there was this, this command in their region that every male child born should be killed. And she hid him for three months, but she could, uh, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed the child in it and put it amongst the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to take a bath and her attendants were walking along the riverbanks. And she saw the basket, the reeds, among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrews babies. Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother, lo and behold. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, 
She took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. It's amazing that if you look at the story of Moses that she says, I, she called him Moses and she drew him out of the water. It's amazing that Moses was used to part water. He was saved in water and used to part water and used by God to call water out of a rock. It's also amazing that Pharaoh's mother, 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 imagine the angst of going through nine months of being pregnant. That's, that's not 2023 with hospitals like we have. You go through the angst of, of having that child and the baby is growing and it's, it's moving and it, and you hear that in your region there is a command. We've all had some sense of what it feels like to be under the control of government. For, for a few months, almost a year, we were told not to leave our houses. And we were, we were forced to live in a certain way because there was a severe threat of death all around. And I'm not denying the fact that people did die of COVID. It was a severe thing. People lost loved ones by the, uh, the tremendous loss of life around the world. It's a serious thing. I'm not denying that. I'm saying that the way we deal with it was radical. Now imagine there is a king who's a dictator and he says, every child is a threat to the throne. All male children must be killed. And you are one of those people in the right spot, the right time, pregnant. You're about to give birth to this child and you, you get this child and you, 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 the, the, uh, what do you call this woman that picked, uh, that got the child? She holds a child and she is on your side and she gives you this child and you look at this child and, and, and the word says it was a fine child. You look at this child and you have nowhere to go with this child except you know that he has a threat of death on his life. He has a target on him. He is supposed to be dead. Every moment he breathes, there is a dictator, God King, that is saying this child must die. And no matter what you do, you are outnumbered. You are outgunned. You are overpowered. Your situation is deteriorating by the day you've heard the story of your neighbor who's lost a child and you hear the story of the sister of that side whose child had died and 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 for that to stand many male children had to have been killed at that moment what choice does she have to either surrender to her circumstances surrender to what is the environment in which she has this baby she can either now say this is what pharaoh says i mean we, we don't like civil disobedience and I'm not supporting civil disobedience, but how do you rebel against the thing that threatens your life to that degree? It's law. I mean, Pharaoh said it. You are not allowed to have a child, a male child. If you do, it must be killed. That's the law. It's the law. And so either you surrender to, to that, we don't live in that environment now as in 2023. It's not a severe Things are much, much better. Just the average age of a human being is far better than even 100 years ago. We live a lot longer. We have a lot more things working out for us. Most of this room has never, ever seen, well, most, maybe very older gentlemen in this room. Most people has not seen war or even been close to it. It feels to you like a war zone driving to a mall, but it's not. 
We haven't seen war. Now this child, she takes this child and she has no choice. Either surrender to what is happening around her, that all the children has to die, or she, she how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? I don't read too much about the father, but this woman takes this child and she says, okay, let me, let me just take a different path to surrender. She begins to make a basket and cover it with tar. And she puts this baby in this basket and she puts him down the river. And the moment he, she takes this step of faith to say, I'm not going to give him to death. The moment she chooses to do something differently, just by her birthright, she has a different set of eyes on her. And every action she gets is in defiance to the macro environment, the demonic, the prince of darkness, the, the death that is there. Every step she gives is a step of hope that maybe one, imagine hiding him for three months. Every day he survives, you know, it's an extra day she had with him. Knowing that this could be the last day, it's, it's like that in the world we live in right now. You, you don't know when you leave the house that you'll come back. And that uncertainty is already severe. Imagine there is a rule that says your child must die. And every day you survive, have that child survive, you know it's an extra day. And she takes him and every step she gives in the direction of trying to save him another 24 hours. It's a step of faith. And one day she puts him and she says, I have no choice. Because this baby is now of age and he wants to run around. And he, well, he's three months old. I don't think he ran around, but he's crying at least. He's beginning to make a noise and people are beginning to notice. And so she puts him in a basket, puts him in a river and takes a step back. And the moment the waters got him, it's out of her hands. So where did the miracle begin? Did the miracle begin with her putting him in the water? Or did the miracle begin when she took a step back and left it in God's hand? Did the miracle begin when she started making the basket? At what point... Did the miracle start before the evidence was there that it's happening? Up to which, at which moment in her, in her story was God working? Was he working when he was in Pharaoh's office and Pharaoh already made the decision that all male children must be killed? Was God already working on the plan that 40 years from now he'll have Moses run out of Egypt? Was he already in the moment where he's speaking to Moses to take them out of Egypt? Was he already there? Because God has your whole world in his hand. Where did the miracle begin? I don't think in her mind, she was aware that God was working towards a plan in his future for her son. I don't think she knew that. To her, in her world, she was highly isolated from what God was busy working and orchestrating. In her world, all she had was her hut, her husband, her daughter, and a baby. It's all she had. It's all she had to deal with is that. She didn't know that God was working towards saving is Egypt from is uh, Israel from Egypt. She didn't know that. And so one day she begins to make this basket. And as she's weaving this basket, looking at the child and weaving the basket, and looking at the child and hearing sounds outside, knowing the time is running out, I think that's where the miracle started. Was there any proof at that point? 
She puts him in the basket and she walks to the river and she gives many steps before anything begins to happen. And even to the point where she puts him in the river and takes a step back. What's the odds of a child surviving? We have grown men that can't swim. I for one almost drowned. I was about five kilometers in from the coastline. My wife on the phone with Discovery Life Insurance. I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. It's not right. I'm shouting for, the, for help and she's waving back. Hey, I'm drowning. She's hi, swim your like it. What's the chance of a baby in a basket full of, uh, in, a, in, a, in, in the Nile River floating down slowly to survive? Is there animals that could attack this child? How many of you, some of you are too young to understand, but if you have a child, there's something that changes in you. When my son was in hospital and me standing there every day, the, the money was not an issue. None of us would think twice about spending money to save our children. Nothing matters more than that child. She puts him in the basket and he begins to move down the river slowly, with, slowly, slowly with the stream. She holds and, and at that moment, the step of faith to let him go, slowly, slowly, something else begins to work. Something else begins to work in her life and in his life. And the sister is following closely by as he's floating down the Nile. She's walking down the rivers, watching closely, but distant enough from so that no one can see. And if somebody looks, she turns around, walks away, keeps an eye, protecting a child that has a threat of death in his life target he must die she walks she walks slowly but surely what is the odds that exactly at that time what is the odds what, what are the odds right semantics what is it's my sentence choice what are the odds that at that time the princess would go take a bath at the nile river what are the odds at that day, at that time, the moment she decided to let the child go? The princess is standing there. What are the odds that she looks up, sees him? How many times do we walk past that we think, uh, how many of you people, uh, you people, <laughs> how many of you people? <laughs> you people come in here. How many of you Christians? I saw this on, on, a, on a YouTube video this 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 test how many of you saw red cars this morning how many of you counted exactly how many you saw if i were to give you a hundred bucks for every red car you see on the way home you think you'll count more you don't notice what you don't notice and what are the odds that she's standing right there and this baby is floating down this river nile the nile river and she sees this princess sees him and the sister moves quickly, sees that she picks him up and sees, and they're standing there and she says, should I, should I? And the child cries at the, that exact right moment so that he moves her, the princess, emotionally right there at the moment. The way he looks, the way he cries, the way she picks him up. She looks at him and somehow her heart moves. 
Whilst over there, there is no evidence that God had done anything. The mom is still sitting here wondering what's happening to the child. Is he going to make it? She's trying, sitting there at a kitchen table thinking, did I do the right thing? Should I have tried to hide him? Should I have moved country? Should I have slipped out? What could I have done? All these options, not knowing. The princess is already holding the child. Already in her heart decided that this child is going to live. Made the decision, the right person who has the authority to overrule has picked up the child. Out of all the people, how many women would have picked up that child going down the river and said, no ways. But God let all of them miss the child. The right one. The princess. The one who has the authority to let it live. Picks it up. And the daughter says, should I go get some Hebrew woman? Knowing in her mind, I've got the mom in mind. She runs back, gets the mother. The mother of Moses sits in her house at the kitchen. The daughter knocks on the door. Mom, you come quick, come quick. Somebody's picked up Moses. They're looking, they're looking for someone to, to nurse this child. Would you come quickly? The mom, she knows nothing. Yo? Can you help with it? That child's a little bit And she says, yes, I can help her. She picks him up and she holds him and she smiles, but no one knows and she smiles. She's like, and the princess doesn't know. And the princess goes like, I want to do a good thing. Can I pay you to raise this child for me? That's amazing. That's amazing to me. That's amazing. That while a few moments ago, she was weaving a basket saying goodbye to the child. And by the grace of God, somehow she's being paid to raise what she let go. She's being paid to raise what she had to let go. I heard this statement somewhere. I don't know which preacher said this, but, but God will never fight you for, for, uh, for your attention. He's not going to fight you. Let me put it this way. He's not going to fight your blessing for you. He's not going to be in competition with a promise. He's not going to be. When he said to Abraham, I will give you a child, the only child, your male child. I want the one you love. He asked Isaac was the promise. And God wanted him to give the promise back. It's only when he let the promise go. That he showed God that you are worth more than the promise. God will not fight you for your calling. If your calling is more important than your submission to God, God is no longer in your calling. It's the same, the same story can be said. Um, this is not the direction I want to take this in. Moses, was it Moses? Yes, Moses says to God, God says, I'm sending you to a promised land. He says to God, I ain't going to the promised land if you're not there. If you don't go with me, I'm not going. What's the point of being in your promise and not have God? And with most Christians, that's the problem. They want the blessing and not the God. Uh, we're, we're stuck in the same thing. You remember the Tower of Babel? People were building the Tower of Babel to reach into heaven without God. We're in the same world now where people are trying to extend life beyond God. 
people are trying to live for eternity. They're trying to, to not die. They're trying to stay young. They, they do every effort to stay young. They just want that without God. Well, God says, I'll give you eternity. I'll give you eternity, but you can't have that if you don't have me. People say, I don't want that route. There's too many, there's too a higher cost to have eternity with God. I'd rather want eternity without God. Many of us in Christianity, in our pursuit of a calling, don't really want God in it. Because if God's in it, the rules change. The moment God's in it, guardrails are put up so that we don't deviate from the purpose and the plan of God. And here God is, He's working, and a woman picks up this child, and, and Moses' mom is raising this child. This is a step of faith. And she is not even, she's oblivious that this micro event has, what is, what is more than a century? A millennium, a thousand years. This has a couple of thousand years worth of impact, this one event. She thinks it plays out on her Monday to Friday. Took her one year. A couple of thousand years later, we're telling the story and our lives are taught by what she did there at a riverbank. She's oblivious to it because her anxiety and her pain is in the moment I'm going to lose my child. She doesn't know that God is working the salvation of all the Hebrew children. He's working for those that were killed as a child. He's working for those that are yet to be born. He's working for the people of Israel, all of them. He is working with this picking up of a child that she had to let go. I wonder how many things in your life you don't move on because you don't have clear view of where it's going. I wonder if you think that faith means you know. I wonder how many Christians are of the understanding that when I have faith, I can rest. I don't have any issues. I don't think faith works that way. It hasn't worked that way for me. With faith comes a lot of uncertainty. With faith comes a lot of uncertainty. We don't know. We don't know. He says in Hebrews 11. Now, uh, that's, not, that's not Hebrews 11. He says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. How many of you know beyond a doubt that the earth is round? I'm kidding. That's just, that's just a joke. Because it might be flat. If it is round, why are we not flung off from it on the bottom? Why does the water not just drain off like a... It's possibly flat. I'm kidding. It's not flat. It's round. It's round. Dish. Like an ellipse. It's, it's more flat than round. No. How do you... How many of you... Who's been to the moon? By faith, we know that he formed the universe. Do you, do you see him do it? Have you seen him do it? There are many theories that are very, very plausible. Theories of how it was formed. Did you, so by faith, we just believe that he did. I don't have any scientific proof. We can't replicate that, that in a lab. We can't replicate. So by scientific measures, we have to be able to, to sort of replicate it, to prove it, to be so, do it again. That then follows scientific premise. 
that this must be true. We don't have any proof, and so we can't prove that, but they can't replicate their models either in, in actual reality. We don't have any proof, but it says by faith, we have to believe that God formed the universe. So you're sitting here and you've, up, you, you, you've viewed all the different things and you were raised in either a Christian house and some in different religions, and yet you've formed an opinion of how did this existence come here? And someday you may have walked into a church or you were in, and you kids, as they said to you, and God made the universe. And somehow in you, something popped up and said, I believe that. I don't know how, I don't have any proof, but by faith, I believe that. I believe that. I'm going to build this out. I don't know if I'm going to finish the whole thing now, but let's see. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed by God's command. And so we, and so what is seen was not made out of what was visible. We skip three. I jump to four. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. So two brothers, we, we, we say that God must have spoken to them. Cain and Abel, God must have spoken to them. But by faith, one brought a better offering. Why if I tell you, if I tell you to do something or someone something or ask my children something or an employee to do something, why do I get different results? Is it just IQ? Is it understanding? Why do some people work, why do you work harder when somebody walks into the office? Who, do, who doesn't do that? Send us your CV. Oh, so you just don't work hard no matter what. <laughs> Some people work harder when the boss walks in. The other day, Rico was making a joke with me. He's sitting in, the, in his room on his phone studying. And I was walking in and, he, and, he, and, he, and, and his studies was actually on the phone. I said, I saw you flip it. I saw you were playing games. And he was, no. And he played along. How many of us, so, so we think that if, if, where was I going with this? Cain and Abel, two boys, one brings a better offer than the other. We think that they had this real good understanding of theology. And so the one saw God, knew what he wanted, the other one was just rebellious. I, don't think, I think it's a macro, macro, micro story, like the story of, of Moses' his mom. They were just doing their thing, but one was moved. To believe God, he says, by faith, Abel brought a better offer. We're at different salary ranges within this room. And I know in South Africa, the reason, one of the reasons I'm preaching this is because I know people are struggling. Finances are looking very, very different now than it looked about a year ago even. If you walk through a mall now, it's very, very empty. Halfway through the month, most people begin to fast. It's not spiritual, it's not by choice, it's forced fasting. You turn into a vegan, not by choice. It's just all that's left. By faith, Enoch was taken from, his, from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken away. For by, before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. So you, he begins, just, by faith we know that he formed the universe. You can't approach him if you don't believe that he formed the universe. And if you are drawn to different theories of Big Bang and evolution, and you believe that you come from a cockroach, 
That's on you, but some of us believe that God made it. There is intelligent design. There is intelligence in the design. You can't, you can't by accident have this happen. And so if God is the creator, of the, you come to him, you have to believe that he exists. You can't ask him if you don't think he's real. The reason sometimes we sow a thing, sow a seed or give somebody something and tell them is because we're not so sure God exists. I'm going to preach this thing. I'm going to, is it okay? So Moses, his mom, when she said, I'm not going to submit to the status quo and have my child die, I'm going to weave him a basket. It drew God's attention. And when Abel was walking in the field and he was trying to prepare an offer for God and thinking about it, the fact that he thought, what could please God? What, what would God really want me to offer? How does he want me to bring this offer? And his brother just went in and took what he got, never give it a thought. It caught God's attention. And Abel, the way he, uh, Enoch, the way he walked on the earth and the way he did a thing, his, everybody was doing their own thing, but something in Enoch drew God's eyes. And he saw him. Follow with me. Because he pleased God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Remember the words, please God. By faith, Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became an heir to righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Now, Noah, when warned about things not seen, Noah was sitting one day. Imagine how the first dude who made fire felt. Guy sitting in a cave. Hitting his head against the rock board. Hits a rock with his head. Falls off. Makes a spark. He goes, ooh. Ooh. Hits it with a rock. Another spark. His wife's hair catches fire. Ooh. Me make fire. Here's Noah sitting. He's just typing out an email, doing his everyday thing. Noah sitting at his desk. He's doing his thing. Somehow he just thinks to himself, there's going to be water falling from heaven. So much. How does he? Water is going to fall from heaven so much that we're all going to drown. Who of you would believe a guy standing up in the middle of this group saying, Yureth? The word of the Lord. God saith, cometh, reigneth, we drowneth. I'll tell you what we'll do. We're like, yeah, COVID. Long, COVID, long COVID. <laughs> How many of you believe it? So he sits there and he sits there and God begins to war warm him. Warm him. Warn him in his heart that there is some, something is coming. And he goes like, okay, I believe you, God. And he's a righteous man. He doesn't do. Everybody there is doing their thing, acting stupid, sinning. Just by the way, I wanted to read you this. I'm going to interrupt this for a slow question. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Anytime you, just as, as, a, as a short interval, don't judge Christians. Don't make comments about Christians. 
Don't have an opinion about other Christians. You should be focused on your own walk. Don't be so concerned about what they're sinning. Because who of you are not dying? I'll make it slower. The wages of sin is death. So surely if you're not sinning, you shouldn't die. Who of you are not dying? So your slightly more holiness is still leading you to death. Every day you wake up and get older and you see a new wrinkle. Every day you get out of your car and you can't stand up right straight away. Is that just me? I'm not, I'm not hitting the right target audience here. Young men are still growing up. Every day I get out, I'm feeling bigger and taller. Yeah, just wait. Just wait. Because one day you'll wake up and you go like, Ooh, he was harder. <laughs> and every day you see that not there. It's telling you that you have a sinful body. Because of the sin of death, the, sin of, the wages of sin is death. And you're still dying, it means that you're still sinning. So who of you can judge? You can judge when you escape death. None of you can. Who could? Jesus. Because he was resurrected. And he is alive. Back to my story. By faith, Abraham... I was still busy with Noah. I'll come back to him maybe. By faith, Abraham, when, he, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. How many things does, do you think God wants to do in your life, but you never get to it because you don't know? It says there, Abraham, who was called to go to a place, would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham went knowing, went going, not knowing. Some of us won't go because we don't know. If I do this, what will happen? I don't know. You come to church every Sunday. Is this working out for me? I don't know. It's faith. People stand in front of an altar, which I think is a radical step of faith, trying to get married to someone they don't know. You know them for two years and I can you. I he cannot meet. <laughs> I can recommend a couple of tests that will help you know her better. Withhold food. <laughs> Two hours. And see a very, very different girl. Abraham was called by God. He said, I'm taking you out of your father's house. I'm sending you to a country. You don't know. He has a hunch. He walks, wakes up one morning, goes to his dad. He says, dad, I need to speak to you. Dad's busy offering because his dad was a pagan, false God worshiper, making altars for the people. Abraham says, I'm going. Dad says to him, where are you going? He says, I'm, God called me. I'm going. I see it. 
So Abraham Dad says, it's a phase, it's a phase. I say, it's a phase. Sometimes it's not a phase. Abraham goes back to his room, packs, a, packs his bag, puts in his sneakers, packs his bag. Mom walks in and says, Abraham, what are you doing? He says, God called me. To do what? <laughs> no, nope, he's going to birth a nation through me. Abraham said on this thing, God has called him. He puts his back, back on. <laughs> Cheers, day. Bye-bye. See you soon. He's out. He's gone. <laughs> Mama, vraag, Papa. Who said like Facebook on? I will follow him live. <laughs> Abraham's gone. God says, by faith, Abraham went to a place not knowing. Was he sure? How sure do you think he was? We... we Much of our Christianity is not based on being sure. Faith is, is you choose which one. You, by not doing something, you're also exhibiting faith. It's a conviction that if I do it, it's not worth it. If you don't move. By faith, faith is to move things that, that everything is pointing that it possibly cannot work. Let me explain how that worked out in this building. When we purchased the first property, which is a two-hectare property, we didn't have the finances anyway. And we said, okay, two hectares. That's what we could believe God for. Thank God that somewhere along the line for our small faith and where we are today, something, something happened. I don't know exactly how, but God's hand was in it. And we began to pursue this, and we, we cut out two hectares worth of land. So my, I negotiated with, with the owner of this land, And I sat down with him often. Me and Pastor Louis drove to his offices and we sat down, with, we spoke with him and he said, there was a gate where our gate is more or less now and he had the business down on the bottom side. He said, that road coming right through there, you can buy the property on both sides of that road, but that road, you'll register a servitude on that road and give me preferential right of way from the main gate straight down to the bottom property. I said, why? He said, I don't want people to drive like this to get to the, the business that's down at the bottom. I want them to have a straight road. So whatever you build around, it's fine. As long as they have a straight road. If you don't do that, not signing contract. So I finally convinced them to leave a panhandle on the side as well. I said, okay, I'll do that. But remember, that's going to be our main road. I can't have major 18-ton trucks driving over there. Let's put a panhandle in that side that services that road so the trucks can go that side and cars can go through here. So we registered a servitude on this property. I thought that was a good plan. It was a great plan because this is where we're at. But that's what I could negotiate. We got that. We, served, we registered, bought this property. The same happened with the house on the top there. We needed its entrance so that we can build the entrance of the church. And so they would have never said, okay, cut half of the property off and put an entrance there. So I, I bought that and I, stood, I took a step back and I said, you can buy it. If you want it, buy it. And that never went through. And somehow God closed that deal for everyone else. And I got the house. I bought the house myself. The property down here, a couple of comp companies, I don't want to call our names, in this region was contending to buy that property. They have the finances and everything. They began to negotiate with the owner. And I said to him, I want to buy this property. But we didn't have the finances. I didn't know how I was going to pay it. He wanted everything at once. We couldn't get finance. We didn't have the money. Nothing was in place. So I said to this guy, because I know him, this businessman of this region that wanted to buy that, I said to him, if you buy that, 
can we share the parking? So you build a parking between the two and we'll share the parking. Is that possible? He said, yeah, easy peasy. Not going to put it on contract, but easy. I said, okay, I'll take a step back. And everything in that deal went south. Couldn't happen. Somehow, somewhere along the line, I just took a step back in faith. I said, if it's God that wants me to have that, he'll have me have that. And I literally shut down. I didn't, I didn't care about it. Asked my wife. I didn't care. I said, do your thing. You want it, buy it. And two weeks went by and nothing happened. And the owner of the property phoned me back. He said, okay, I want this deal. I, want this deal. I said to him, we go, you wanted to hire the property out to me. Went back and forth. And one day I just got upset. I said to him, listen, here is my final offer. I'll pay this. And I'll pay it in, in three payments over two years. Accept it now. Leave it. Don't care. Signed the contract. Next day we signed the contract. But imagine now if that didn't happen that way. And there was a business down there. And Monday to Tuesday, there are cars driving right next to this building on this road, right next to this, this front road. Every day, that company's cars has to drive past here. On Sundays, on Wednesdays, when we have U groups. So we can't check cars, we can't do anything. I didn't understand that at the time. But God was involved. We didn't know. We didn't have any surety. What we said is we need property. We believed that there was this property, come hell or high water, that one I negotiated to get it. Thereafter, I put my hands up and said, God's in your hands. And God allowed us to get the house on the top, which we needed, and the property down there. Now the servitude can be lifted. It doesn't need it. And the, the panhandle can be used as a road, which is a more straight road anyway, by the way. That's a miracle. There is no way. There is no way. All the pastors in the front know. That there was on that house another guy trying to buy it and on the property down here trying to buy it i took a step back it's not in my hands it's not my my issue it's god's hand and it's, it's impossible to have that work out now looking back i go thank god i didn't know i wouldn't have slept for it for a day if i knew that that could be the real risk of having cars drive up and down imagine it's a successful business we're having church and they're driving up and down going to that business it's a miracle that it didn't work out that way. It's a miracle. God is involved with every small part of your life. It's a miracle, but God is involved. It says in, in Hebrews, in, in, I'll do Romans tonight. I'm not going to do it now. I'm going to quit. God sees every step you give. We walk not by sight, but by faith. In other words, I can't see it, and yet I'm walking. When, when he called Peter to walk out of the boat, no one walks on water. But it shows him that there is a new world possible by faith. And when he failed, God talked to him about his faith. He said, oh, you of little faith. He talked to him about his faith when he failed at something that no one else can do. No one else can walk on water. And God was still upset with Peter. No one ever walked on water. And God was upset with Peter. You know who walked on water? Jesus. He did it right before Peter. And he said, your eyes should be on me. And although you don't know, I've got this. I've got this. It's going to work out because I am with you. You're going through financial crisis. I get it. All of us are suffering. It's, the economy is making everything a lot more difficult. Steel prices have gone up three times. Uh, the original price for when we started this building. Construction costs us through the roofs. Nobody is selling any houses. Houses are not selling. People are not buying cappuccinos anymore because they're buying just the water. 
Can't afford it. Things are going south. But by faith, trust God. But by faith, He's got my future. Amen. Can we stand? Let's pray. Stand up for a second. Father, we don't have it all together. Thank God. We are not saved by works. We don't have everything planned out. Thank God. You are God and not us. Thank you that you are not looking at us and saying, and, and rebuking us every day. You are saying, I am a good, good father. And as a father teaches his children, you are teaching us. You are guiding us. You are leading us. You have our hand. And we are yours and you are ours. Thank you for all you do. Today we surrender. We take a step back and say, God, I refuse to go to bed tonight and not sleep. My dreams shall not be ruined by worry and the demonic. I say, God, my sleep shall be sweet. I don't know how, but I do believe that you hold my future. I cannot see it yet, but it is coming. Better is my share in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him a proper praise. <laughs> Hallelujah.